everybody. Thank you for <laughs> inviting us into the space that you have prepared. Um, I am so excited to be here. I am too. I think this is going to be a fun time with you today. We are expectant um, and we are ready. No. I don't think you are because, okay, so <laughs> she just got done telling me that she has begun doing the, the antibiotics for her cold and stuff and it's causing her to feel a bit a dizzy. dizzy, so she feels out of it. <laughs> and then for her to say, I'm expectant. I, I am expectant. <laughs> I'm very expectant. So it's, it's time to focus, get your head in the game. Um, God has things prepared for, for us and I am... So excited. I'm expecting it. I don't know about Jenny. I'll but, get there. But she will get there. <laughs> um, I'm going to say a prayer and prepare our space for us, so please pray with me. God, we thank you for the things that you have planned, the things that you are doing. Uh, we thank you for being here in all of the places um, that, that, that you are. Um, God, we th thank you for this time. We thank you for this space. Um, and all of the things that are about to be said. Uh, thank you. Hey, Christ community, thanks for allowing me to be a part of your spiritual journey today. I am honored to be with you. Last week, we finished uh, our verse-by-verse -verse walk through the book of Philippians. So today, we're bidding a, beginning a new series focused on a very powerful and incredibly relevant section of Scripture found in the Old Testament book, of Isaiah. So our focus for the next few weeks is going to be Isaiah chapter 58. So you may be wondering, why are we looking at this chapter written centuries ago by a prophet to the nation of Judah? Well, the short answer is because I believe God wants us to. Um, a few weeks ago, I had laid out a teaching series for our church starting this weekend. I had all the weeks and all the topics planned but I began to feel unsettled about it. Actually, it was a few months ago. I just began to feel unsettled about it. I had this intuitive sense that it wasn't what the Lord was wanting us as a church to focus on in this season. So as I began to think and, and pray about this, I felt the Lord leading me to this chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 58. And the more I read it, the more con convinced I became that this passage is a passage God has his hand on for us in this season. Now, what I was initially drawn to in this passage was the incredible description it gives of the impact God wants us to have on our community and our world. Look at verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Isn't that beautiful? Isaiah was writing to a group of people who had been in exile in a godless place known as Babylon, and they had seen the worst of evil and conflict and brokenness all around them. And yet God here, he invites them to be a part of his rebuilding process. He says, you will be known as repairer, as a repairer of broken walls. You'll be known as the restorer of streets with dwellings. This has always been God's vision for his people. Jesus talked about and demonstrated a kingdom that brings restoration and healing to people's lives. In our world that is filled with so much tension and conflict and pain and evil and brokenness, God's vision for his people is this same vision 
that Isaiah so beautifully describes and that Jesus died for. God's vision for his church is that we would be called a restorer of broken walls, that we would be actively involved in bringing healing to this broken planet. Now, I was so inspired by this vision at the end of Isaiah 58. Um, I, just, I just wanted us as a church to be that kind of a healing influence. So then I began to explore what Isaiah says that will enable us to be that kind of healing force in our community, in our world. And that's when it honestly got a little uncomfortable for me. That's when I felt like God was putting his finger on something in my life that he wanted to look at and that he wanted us as a church to look at. In Isaiah 58, there is, there is a vision to be this kind of healing community, but there is also a problem. There's a problem. There's a barrier that is keeping God's people from being that healing presence. And that barrier is vividly described in the first few verses of this chapter. So let's look together at Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 1. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Okay, so who is speaking here? Well, God is. God is speaking to Isaiah, the prophet, and telling him that he needs to let the people know about a particular sin they are committing, a rebellion that they are actively participating in. Now, the language here is quite strong, uncomfortably so. I mean, God doesn't just tell Isaiah to call a meeting and let's have a chat. No, he says to Isaiah, shout this aloud. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. That word trumpet is the Hebrew word shofar. So have any of you heard a shofar? Uh, years ago, I was leading worship at our church during uh, a service, and we had a guy come in and sit on the front row with his shofar, this huge instrument. And during that service, to my horror, he would blow that thing. Every once in a while, he would blow that thing. It's really loud. So I was helpless. I couldn't do anything to stop him. It was a very traumatic experience for me. So the shofar was what the Israelites would use to warn each other about danger or to call them to an important gathering. God is saying, hey, Isaiah, I need you to proclaim as loudly and powerfully as possible this message to my people because they're not hearing me. So here's the message. Verse 2. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? I mean, this is a startling passage. We would expect God to say, hey, the sin, this rebellion, this sin my people are committing is that they're worshiping others, idols and they're running after other gods and they don't seek me. They don't care about me. So Isaiah, you need to point out their idolatry. That's not what he says. God says, these people are eager to know my ways. They read their Bibles. They gather to worship me. They are prayer warriors who are asking me to come near to them so much so that they are actually fasting they are giving up food and, and humbling themselves in order to seek me more earnestly. But God is not hearing them. 
all of that spiritual activity is not drawing them closer to God. Clearly, there is a problem here. There is a significant disconnect between God's heart and their activity, but they don't know what it is. They have a huge blind spot that is negatively impacting their spiritual lives. And it's impacting their ability to bring restoration to their community. Which is why God says to Isaiah, you need to bring out the shofar. I need you to proclaim this really loudly because my people are not seeing what the problem is. And this is where it got a bit uncomfortable for me. Because as God is telling Isaiah what Israel's blind spot is, I realized I often have the exact same blind spot. I start thinking that seeking God and fasting and praying for revival are the only things needed to help bring healing and wholeness to our nation. And when we, uh, when we focus on that, we end up missing something, or I end up missing something that is near and dear to God's heart. So what is it? Well, God tells us, verse 3, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. God clearly describes what the problem is. These people are fasting and seeking him, but at the same time, they are neglecting something that is near and dear to the heart of God. And that something is justice. He tells them to loose the chains of injustice, verse 6. Earlier in the same book in Isaiah, in, the, in a very similar passage, Isaiah chapter 1, God says to his people, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my face from you. Sounds very familiar to Isaiah 58. So what's the solution? God tells them, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Seek justice. See, in both of these passages, as well as a number of others, God desperately wants his people to see this huge blind spot that they have as it relates to justice, God's justice. See, this is a blind spot that I have had. See, for, for, for my entire Christian life and my 30 years as a, as a pastor here, I have understood God's justice in a very narrow way. That God's justice is his response to our sin. He is just. 
Sin and rebellion must be punished. Hitler needs to pay for his sins. The atrocities that humans have done to one another must be dealt with, and our God is the one to deal with them. God judges sin. All of that is absolutely true. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sin. The cross is this place where God's love and his justice meet. All of that is true, but I'm realizing that this is not the full picture of God's justice. If we only think of God's justice in terms of punishing sin, we are missing something huge. We are missing God's heart. That's what these passages reveal to us. They show us how God views the issue of justice. The justice of God is not only about punishing sin and evil. It is about seeing and standing with the vulnerable, with those who are being mistreated or taken advantage of. As we just saw in Isaiah 58, God talks about caring for people who are being exploited at work. They have no voice. He talks about the hungry and the homeless immigrant and those without clothing and shelter. In Isaiah chapter one, which we read a moment ago, God says to seek justice. And then he gives us three specific people groups, all of which were the most vulnerable in that society. He says, first, care for the oppressed, those who had no economic or political power to defend themselves. They were taken advantage of. Secondly, he says, care for the fatherless, the orphan. I mean, children are the most vulnerable people in our world. When war or disease or some natural disaster hits, the children are the ones who feel the most devastating impact. And then God says, care for the widow. In that male-dominated culture, a wife who loses her husband, loses or lost all of her economic ability to survive, these passages are vividly showing us what justice looks like from God's perspective. This word for justice is the Hebrew word mishpat, and it's used over 200 times in the Old Testament. Very important word. It speaks not only of fair and just decisions, like I mentioned a moment ago, punishing evil. It also speaks of, of protecting the vulnerable, of speaking up for the oppressed, this is so important. When we talk about God being a just God, it is not only about him one day punishing evil. It is also about his heart to care for all people. It is rooted in this core truth that every person is created in the image of God and thus has dignity and value in God's eyes. This is why he feels so strongly about defending the oppressed and speaking up the orphan and providing food for the impoverished. These are groups of people who, for whatever reason, are not able to defend themselves. Their dignity has been taken from them. And what is so beautiful is that we have a God who defends them and who wants his followers to defend them, to speak up for them, to care for them. Which is why, again, it's why he wants Isaiah to blow the shofar so that we hear, we clearly hear this call to seek justice. And it's why God is so bothered when we don't do this, when we don't practice this. This is near and dear to his heart, to who he is. He is a God of justice in the fullest sense of the word. If I'm speaking at some event 
and I'm asked, okay, how the person introducing me, how should I introduce you? You know, I'll say, well, tell them I'm a husband and a father and a pastor. I mean, those are the important things I do. Those are the things that, that describe, you know, the important things I do, kind of describe who I am. So in light of that, it's fascinating to see how God wants to be introduced. Like in Psalm 68, check this out. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses is, is kind of describing to the people what God is like. You know, they're in this new relationship. He's, he's describing what, is, what God is like. Here's what he says to, to the people. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who were foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Moses is saying, this is what your God is like. He defends the vulnerable and cares for them. Now we in, in today in our society, we, we have no idea how radical this was in that culture. No other deity in the ancient world had this perspective. None. Sri Lankan scholar Ramachandra calls this scandalous justice. He writes that in virtually all the ancient cultures of the world, the power of the gods was channeled through and identified with the elites of society. With, with those with economic and political and military power, not with the outcasts. But, 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 but here we have the God of Israel, our God, standing up for not the high-ranking people in society, but for the orphan. He's aligning himself with the orphan, the widow, the foreigner who would easily be rejected and ignored. This is such a powerful and beautiful window into the heart of our God. He is on the side of the vulnerable and he wants us to be as well. We are to seek justice the way God defines it in a way that reflects his heart for the weak, for the oppressed, for the vulnerable. Now you may be thinking, ah, oh, this is that's all Old Testament stuff. That doesn't apply to us today. Well, well, let me just ask you, if you're, if you're thinking that, let me just ask you this. How fully did Jesus demonstrate this kind of heart? Hanging out with the socially outcast tax collectors and prostitutes, rebuking the Pharisees for diligently tithing herbs, but neglecting matters of justice toward widows, telling parables about making sure when you host a banquet, you invite the poor, the lame, the marginalized, the vulnerable, Telling a story where the hero of the story is a Samaritan, a racial group that Jews hated and oppressed. Telling another parable describing how at the end of the age, God will separate people from like, like sheep 
would be separated from goats. And those who clothed the naked and fed the hungry and provided shelter for the homeless and visited people in prison, those were separated, those were put over here, and they were separated from those who didn't do those things. And then at the end of this parable, Jesus tells them, when you cared for the vulnerable in this way, you were caring for me. You were caring for me. That's how much Jesus identifies with the poor, the broken, the oppressed. This idea of seeking justice is not simply an Old Testament idea. It is at the heart of God. It is, it, 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 it is the heart of God as reflected in the person of Jesus. God is a God of healing justice. And throughout the entire Bible, we see that he calls us, his people, to be people of justice, to seek justice, to do justice. So what does that mean? What does that look like for us to do justice? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. We're going to be letting God speak to us from Isaiah 58 and from other places in scripture to help us understand and grow in what it looks like to be a people of healing justice. Now, let me, let me acknowledge that this is not an easy topic to look at. For one thing, we all have a history and certain perceptions and assumptions and political influences that, that we bring to this topic. We all do. And my prayer is that we can look at this topic with fresh eyes, letting God speak to us from his word, stretching us when we need to be stretched. And we all know that stretching is usually uncomfortable. <laughs> As I talked about last week, if there are things that I say in this series that you disagree with, move toward the tension that you feel. Explore that with God. Explore what you're disagreeing. Explore with God. Pray about it. Process it with your small group. Look at God's word and seek his wisdom. And let's make sure we're doing all of that in a loving, healthy way that honors Christ. So God is inviting us into this place of wrestling, which is going to be a good thing. But the other, the other challenge with this topic and what makes it, I think, so difficult is that there are so many voices right now in our society using social justice language to defend a variety of causes, some of which are things that actually break God's heart. So we need to be very careful that we don't just jump onto a social, you know, social justice bandwagon without carefully looking at the causes being highlighted. So in this series, we're going to focus on the things that God identifies as issues of justice. And we're going to talk about how we as his followers can seek justice so that we can be repairers of broken walls, so that we can bring healing to our community and our nation. Now, let me be clear. This is not going to be about guilt and shame. It is not. That doesn't work in terms of helping us grow in this area or any area for that matter. What does work is what Isaiah calls us to in Isaiah chapter 1. After this strong rebuke from God, we read a moment a few minutes ago where God says, I'm not paying attention to your prayers and offerings. I want you to seek justice. After that rebuke, God then says something so beautiful and so powerful, something that I believe we need to hear today and to keep hearing throughout the next few weeks. God says this to his people, come now, 
Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though, though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the Lord. See, this is Jesus' invitation to us. The ability to grow in our doing justice is rooted in Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection life flowing through us. This is not about guilt or shame. This is about coming to, having a willingness, it says in this verse, being willing. This is about coming to him and letting him, being willing to let him speak to our hearts, letting him forgive us afresh for any blind spots that we have and, let, and letting him fill us with his spirit so that we live in a way that reflects his heart. So are you open to engaging this conversation? Are you open to letting God speak to you about his heart and what it looks like, what it might look like to live out that heart? Let's pray. So let's just take a moment wherever you're watching this, engaging in this, let's just take a moment if you're able and quiet our heart. And let's ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are, what are you saying to us? What are you speaking? What are you doing in our hearts right now? What are you speaking to our hearts? What are you stirring in our hearts? If it's tension that we're feeling, move towards that. Explore that with him. If it's anticipation, just offer that to him. So, so Father, we want to be a people, we want to be people who are restorers of broken walls. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to be people who are breaking things. We want to be people who are a part of healing things who bring healing to this broken planet. But we know we can't do this on our own. We know that. We, we, we come to you. We acknowledge our blind spots, our hard hearts, and we ask you to continue to open our eyes to see those places and to forgive us for not reflecting your healing justice. We also ask you to open our eyes and our hearts to better see your heart of justice and to see how we can be a part of bringing your healing to those around us. So Father, I ask, we ask you to use this teaching series from your word, use this series in a significant way in our hearts and our lives for your glory. God, we are willing to have you stretch us and challenge us and grow us so that we better reflect your heart. We love you. We love you, God. We worship we, 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 you. We respond to you now in Jesus' name.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Is worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. of us just continuing to press into the Lord about the things that he's stirring in our hearts now after this message. And so if you just want this to be sung over you or have it in the background, um, I just really feel uh, a sensitivity to the moment. So I'm just going to play for a little bit and then I'll continue on with the song, but press into the Lord now. God, continue to stir in our hearts what you've brought up to the surface, God. Yeah. 
That was incredible. Um, I think that there could possibly be some sometimes during that service that, that I'm gonna go back to or circle or pause and sit in that. Um, a benefit of being a part of this digital service is simply that you have the control over it to, uh, to hear the song again, to yeah. go back and hear different things that you possibly did not um, hold on to. Um, so yeah, take advantage of that, go back, hear different things, be challenged by it. How, how Pastor Allen, he ended that sermon by like this, are you open to being challenged? I, that whole vocabulary is something I love. Yeah, me too. I think really what I appreciate too so much, especially about Alan's heart too, is just the fact that like he felt this prompting to really start speaking and opening up these conversations. And I think it's going to be a really cool journey to be on together. And yeah, I 100% agree with that. Absolutely. I'm going to pray a, a, a blessing over you to kind of... Uh, to open up our space together instead of closing it because this conversation is just beginning. So please accept this blessing. May you have an open heart towards conflict. May conversation excite you. May different opinions inspire the spirit inside of you. I pray that grace and peace are the path you go down and that pressing in to spiritual tension brings you joy and growth. May you see the face of God in the people who challenge you. In Christ I pray, amen. Thanks for today.